Uh, it's, it's a great morning of praise. We're so delighted that you're here with us uh, on our live stream. I'm Pastor Pete, and I want to wish uh, all the moms out there and grandmas happy Mother's Day. I want to especially say a happy mom, Mother's Day to my mom, who's watching in Oakland, California, the house I grew up in. Hi, Mom. Uh, happy Mother's Day to my mother-in-law, Anne. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. And uh, happy Mother's Day to the best mom, the most beautiful mother in the whole world, I'm biased. My wife, Cheryl. We're just going to keep doing this. So everyone's going to come up and start saying, no, no, I want to pray for, I want to praise my wife, but uh, just uh, delightful that you're here this morning. We're doing something a little different. Uh, we're taking a pause on our series in Revelation. Uh, and for Mother's Day, we thought, how could we combine the idea of a, of a kid's message when we have time to speak to, the, to our kids with a sermon? What could be something that could could really answer some questions that our young people are asking. They have fantastic questions. But at the same time, all of us uh, could leave here and say, well, that was a great message. I got something out of it. It wasn't just answering some questions. It was really opening God's word. God's word actually says it will never return void. And in Mark chapter 10, uh, it records how people were bringing kids to Jesus so he could bless them. And the disciples rebuked them and said, no, no, he's too busy. And he said, Hold on a second. Bring those little ones to me, for such is those that will come into the kingdom of God. And he took those children and he blessed them. And imagine that he spoke to them and answered their questions. So today, for Mother's Day, we're doing Mother's Day Q&A. Questions that have been submitted from, uh, from our kids here at MVC. And we're going to hear from them. And I'm going to try my best to answer these terrific questions that our, our kids have. And I will uh, root that in Scripture as we go along. Uh, the first passage of Scripture that I want to reference is going to be on the screen. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, Peter writes, In your hearts reserve Christ as Lord. And then he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Be ready, be prepared to respond to the questions that, that you'll receive, but to do so with, with gentleness and respect. And I would just sort of add to that for this morning, maybe a little sense of humor as well. Uh, one of the questions that we don't have a video for, but a question that came in too late to add uh, to our live stream was from uh, Gideon and Isaac. They wanted to know uh, from Pastor Pete, what was my life like in Christ when I was a child? Oh, that was a great question. When I was a child, I uh, attended a church uh, that didn't have Sunday school. So imagine little Pete, uh, age eight or nine, so we're talking 30 years ago, and I was an altar boy. That was Sunday school. No kid venture, no games, no crafts. I would put on a, a special uh, clerical robe and go and serve and help with Mass, the mystery of the celebration of worship in a very different place than I find myself now. I walked by that building. In fact, I was visiting my mom not too long ago and, and walked past the building. On the outside, it's a very plain uh, brick building. The windows look very, very dark. But when you go inside and the light shines through those windows, they come to life, the stained glass comes to life. And, and that was very formative for me. 
being in that place where the light of Christ was shining so bright, even though it, God was somewhat of a mystery to me because I had so many questions. I can remember walking home with my mom, asking her question after question, and her doing her best to try to answer my questions about God, about life, about the Bible. And so it's fitting that today uh, we have an opportunity uh, for, for me to answer questions that, uh, that your pe- young people are asking. So let's do that. Let's start with Abigail. Abigail's first up is we're going to go by alphabetical order. Let's hear what Abigail's question is. Hi, my name is Abigail. I am eight years old. I'm in second grade. And Pastor Pete, I'm wondering, how do we know that the Bible is true? She is equally adorable and really smart. That's not an easy question to answer. Abigail, thank you for asking such a great, a great question. And I'm stalling to kind of think about a really good answer for that one, because I thought we were going to talk about how many angels can dance on the head of a head of a, of a pin. But how do we know? How about this? Let's watch that video again so we, we catch what Abigail's question is. And maybe this is a question that you've asked, too. Hi, my name is Abigail. I am eight years old. I'm in second grade. And Pastor Pete, I'm wondering, how do we know that the Bible is true? How do we know the Bible is true? Well, Abigail, thank you for starting us off with a terrific question. What's true corresponds to what is real. Truth corresponds to reality, what actually exists, what's actually going on. So when we ask the question, is the Bible true? Another way of putting it is, is the Bible correspond to what's really real, what really exists? The Bible makes some incredible truth claims, but there's evidence that backs up that reality. The Bible's first claim is that there is a creator God who created all things, And the Bible says the the creator God who created all things reveals himself through that creation. I'll share one passage for you. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So that's saying that, that through creation, God is communicating to human beings. And further in Scripture, it says that God communicates to us through his very word. And then it says that God communicates to us most clearly, most profoundly through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, through his life and his birth, his life, and ultimately his death and resurrection. How do we know it's true? A book written in three languages over a period of 1,300 years on three different continents with some 35 to 40 different authors. And yet there's a coherent story, a through line that ties it all together, that communicates a a story of creation, the fall, redemption, redemption, and restoration. How could this one book contain all of that? Are the truth claims True. Do they really correspond to reality? Well, I'd say in our experience of life, of faith, of study of God's word, yes, God exists. Yes, the creator God created 
everything, the heavens and the earth, the cosmos, and you, Abigail, and me. And that Jesus really is his son. He's not a myth. He's a real person. And that he really did die on a cross and he rose again. How do we know that's true? Well, there's a lot of evidence, archaeological evidence, historical evidence, an amazing amount of manuscripts, early copies and fragments of scripture, uh, recordings, eyewitness accounts, so much more. We could stack this whole room with the, the copies of early manuscripts that proved out these things actually happened. Writings from people that were against Christianity, but they still say, no, this happened. These people were transformed. They followed this Jesus who came back from the dead. But ultimately, with all of that, with all of fulfilled scripture that we see, we have to rely on the life of Jesus. We look to the life that he led and the impact of his life and resurrection on the early church. We rely on our own experience of studying God's word, putting it into practice, and seeing it's true. He's real. He's alive. That's a great question, Abigail. Thank you so much. Let's go to Abrielle. She's got a question. The pink, my name is Abigail Sai. I am three years old. And I like USA shopping about my friends. When I can play with my friends. No. So your question is when can I play when can you play with your new friends again? When I can play with my new friends again. <laughs> we have the, the thumbs up at the end. <laughs> okay, we have to watch that again and try not to like melt with the sweetness. I think I'm going to become a diabetic with all the sweetness. Okay, can you ask, ask again? Yes, My name is Abigail Sai. I am three years old, and I like USA shopping about my friends. When I can play with my friends. No. So your question is, when can, I play, when can you play with your new friends again? When I can play with my new friends again. That's a great question. That's a, that's a question I'm asking too. When can I play with my friends again? I love that she, she's added, when can I play with my new friends? I mean, you're three years old. Everyone's a new friend. You're my friend. You're my friend. You're my friend. And sweetheart, I, I hear you. I want to be able to play with my friends too. And it's important that we're staying home and we're staying safe. But the good news is the answer is soon. Soon things will change. And soon you'll be able to see your friends and just trust mom and dad. They'll know what's best, the best timing for that. But soon you'll be able to play uh, with your friends. And, and this whole time uh, without your friends will feel like a big adventure that you've been a part of. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 says this. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. And so, sweetheart, as you develop friendships and you learn how to be a good friend, my prayer for you and for all of us is that we would develop friendships that last, that really stick together. Even being away from your friends for a couple of months, you haven't lost touch with them. As soon as you get back on the playground, 
or in the classroom or back to work, that friendship picks up right where you left off. All right, Adelaide, you're up. Go. Hi, my name is Adelaide, and I am 11, and I'm in fifth grade. And um, did we originally have 25 ribs, but then God took away one of Adam's ribs to make Eve? Or did we originally have 24 ribs, and then God just took away one of Adam's ribs to make Eve, and it grew back? Ooh. <laughs> That's a, that's a classic fifth grader question. Like now we're going, we're getting deep. I'm trying to count if I can feel my ribs through, uh, through my, my winter layer that I still have to wear off the winter layer. Pretty sure I know how many I have. Uh, did you catch the question? Gosh, these kids are whip smart. Okay. Let's, let's hear it one more time. Go. Hi, my name is Adelaide and I am 11 and I'm in fifth grade. And, um, did we originally have 25 ribs, but then God took away one of Adam's ribs to make Eve? Or did we originally have 24 ribs, and then God just took away one of Adam's ribs to make Eve, and it grew back? Adelaide, that's a great question. Uh, we have 12 sets of ribs. That means 24 ribs, unless you have some type of medical condition, or maybe you lived in the Victorian era where they would remove ribs to put corset on. Is that the sort of thing they would do? Okay, let's leave that aside. Uh, men and women, boys and girls, are born with, with a full set of, of ribs, 24 ribs. But it's a good question. You're thinking, well, where's this question coming from? This is a good question. Like kids hear scripture, they hear things, they don't want to be spoon-fed, they want real answers. That's a great question. So let me turn your attention to the book of Genesis, where I think this question originates. The book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 to 23. Let me, let me just read that for us. It says, So the Lord God caused the man, that's Adam, to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Questions that Genesis is answering are not the same kinds of questions that we are always asking. And this is a deep, profound theological passage of Scripture. Theology is a study of God, the things of God. And here we see God creating woman out of the rib of man. So that's where the question comes from in, in that sense in, in our modern hearing. But the theological sense behind it is this. The Bible teaches we are made in the image of God. Man and woman made in the image of God to reflect God's character. And scripture also teaches that the coming together of a man and a woman as this passage uh, leads into of, of Adam and Eve, the first family. And the passage will go on to talk about, about marriage, the coming together of, of a man and a woman, a husband, a wife, a father and, and mother. That union, that relationship is an even fuller, fullest expression of who God is. The fullest expression of God's image in humanity. 
That's why we celebrate. I'm so glad we celebrate Mother's Day. God the Father has revealed himself to us as our Father, and yet we see throughout Scripture all the fullness of God's creation and all the attributes of God reflected here. And so that this is communicating the sense of not how many ribs we have biologically, but theologically, we are meant to be side by side with a life partner. Great question. Okay, Annika, you're up. Hi, Pastor P. It's Annika Ray. I'm 13. And my question is, where did the Ark of the Covenant go? Indiana Jones asked this question at the end of that movie, right? It's being looked into by top men. Is that how, how the movie ends? Is that the answer? No? More? You want more? Okay, let's get more. Let's hear it again, Annika. Hi, Pastor P. It's Annika Ray. I'm 13. And my question is, where did the Ark of the Covenant go? Where did the Ark of the Covenant go? So maybe you're wondering, well, what is the Ark of the Covenant? In the book of Exodus, uh, after the children of Israel have, have crossed over and Moses and Aaron are leading them through the wilderness towards the promised land, God gave Moses the tablets, the two tablets, the Ten Commandments. The first set, well, they, got, he, they sort of slipped out of his hand. He was a little upset, right? But he had another set put together, and God uh, directed Moses to construct a wooden box that would be laden with gold and have incredibly powerful symbols. And within this box would be the two tablets. You can read about that in, uh, later on in Exodus 25. But again, that's the instruction. And then again in chapter 37, how that box was created and how that went forth in front of the children of Israel as they proceeded through the wilderness and had all the adventures and misadventures. But what happened to it? Well, the Ark of the Covenant was built and designed uh, to be carried. And when they would uh, set up camp, they would pitch a tent. It was the tabernacle. It was a mobile uh, uh, worship center. Imagine if we could just pick up stakes as a church and just move around from place to place. And that's what the tabernacle was. And then eventually the temple was built. But then sadly, in 587 uh, BC, the Babylonians attacked, they destroyed the temple, and the Ark of the Covenant was lost. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 13 and 14. So Annika, where is the Ark of the Covenant? I have no idea. You know, sometimes that's the best answer. Just be honest with kids, right? A kid asks a good question, just give them a the best answer sometimes is, I don't know. Don't, don't make up stuff. I don't know. Some think that it's in Ethiopia. In fact, some of the oldest Christians, the oldest line of Christianity is in Ethiopia. And there's a place there that they believe that they have the keeping of the ark. Who's to say? I don't think that's it. So where is the ark? Well, if you've been part of our Revelation series, we, we know that John had a vision where he saw the ark. And so this reference, I had to get a little revelation in, right? Had to do a little bit. Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, John looks and sees, and it says, then God's temple in heaven was open and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. So that's my answer. There you go. And this is a great form. I like answering questions on camera because you, there's no follow-up, right? There's no, oh, wait, wait, I have a follow-up. Nope. We're moving right along, folks. Okay, Avery. What was it like before I was born? Where was I? 
That, this, is a, this is getting close to the kind of conversation that little boys and girls should have with their moms and dads. Let's, I want to listen to this with my pastor sensitivity ear. Let's hear that question again, because I think she's asking a very deep theological question here. Not about biology, okay? What was it like before I was born? Where was I? Gosh, what was it like before she was born? I could also answer as a parent, but I don't want to answer what, what life was like before kids. Let's not go there either. Avery, before you were born, before God created you, you didn't exist. Hard to understand that, not existing, because we've always existed, but we just weren't created yet. And so a passage of scripture I turn our attention to is in the book of Psalms. Psalm 139, my my favorite psalms, one of my favorites. Psalm 139, let me just read this to all of us, verses 13 to 16, where uh, David is writing to the Lord of how awesome it is that God knows him so well, knows everything about him, knows everywhere he, he goes. Verse 13, this is again, the psalmist writing to the Lord. You created my inmost being. It means you're, your soul, you created your psyche, your very person, your who you are, your soul. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. See, it's poetic language, sort of couplets of repeating this idea of being created by God. And then verse 16, you saw, your eyes saw my unformed body. That's a word in Hebrew that means embryo. That God created you and knew you in that way. We didn't know ourselves, but God knew us and had you in mind. In fact, the only baby that existed before he was born was, was Jesus He even says, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is the only one who ever preexisted. So, sweetheart, when when God created you, that's when life began. All right. Check out, I'm very jealous of this young man's uh, hairline. Check out Corbin. Here we go, Corbin. My name is Corbin. And I'm for... And I know Pastor, and Pastor, and Pastor Pete, I'm wondering if if God rides a bike. I, I was sort of distracted by by those beautiful Goldilocks. Can we? Did he ask what I think he asked? Let's hear it again. My name is Corbin, and. I'm four, and I know Pastor, and Pastor, and Pastor Pete, I'm wondering if, if God rides a bike. Does God ride a bike? Corbin, that is a great question. Does, I've never heard that question before. Does God ride a bike? Corbin, my answer is God does not ride a bike because God is spirit. But God doesn't, doesn't ride a bike. But then we see in, in the book of, of Luke, the gospel of Luke, about Jesus, who was God in, uh, in human form. He was, a fully, he was fully God and fully man. It says when he was a 
very young, young boy. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So it means as he grew up, wisdom and stature, I mean, he started to learn things. He started to grow. And in that culture, uh, he really was, was growing big time. So his body was growing, his mind was growing, and his understanding of the world and of God's word grew through all that. And so if Jesus had a bicycle, I bet you he could ride a bike, no problem. But does God ride a bike? No, he doesn't. But Corbin, you know something that's better than God riding a bike? There's never been a bike ride in history that God wasn't on. God's right there with you. When you're riding your bike, he's with you, young man. He's right beside you and before you and behind you. God knows the the thrill that you have when you finally learned how to ride that bike and cruise down the street. And he's there with you when you get a little scared. And even when sometimes we fall, we have to protect our heads with a helmet. God knows perfectly. Beyond even my words can comprehend, Everything there is to do with biking. So there you go. That's a great question. Okay, now we're going to get one from a big kid. Uh, one of our proud graduates coming up. He's graduating. He's going to be a Coug, pretty sure. Uh, go Cougs. All right, Daniel, let's bring it. Hi, my name is Daniel Scary, and I'm currently a senior at Tahoma High School. In the fall, I'll be attending Washington State University, and I'll be studying engineering. Hey, Pastor Pete, what's been your biggest joy in ministry? Not only is he articulate, not only is he going to a great school, but he asked me a really easy question. <laughs> so thank you, Daniel, for, for lightening up. Did you catch it? We're going to hear it one more time. Let's listen to this, this question. Hi, one my name is Daniel Scary, and I'm currently a senior at Tahoma High School. In the fall, I'll be attending Washington State University, and I'll be studying engineering. Hey, Pastor Pete, what's been your biggest joy in ministry? So at, at first blush, it seemed like an easy question. Oh, this is a layup. I can answer this. And then I started thinking, and thinking of all the things that I'm, I'm joyful for, and I count this as a joy, and that is a joy. It's hard to say what is most joyful. What comes to mind, the first thing that comes to my mind is the joy of being able to baptize my own son. It's, I only, only start crying if I think about it too much. That was a beautiful moment. But the expression or the experience of lasting joy, so many fun moments Beautiful moments. But what really will stick with me is through discipleship, through investing in other people, investing in the next generation, in helping build up and disciple, disciple-making disciples. I don't know. Did that make sense? Let me say it one more time. When I really put my mind to it, what is most joyful in my experience of, of life and in ministry the thing that I count as the biggest privilege, the thing that I'm going to remember the most years from now, it won't, it won't be the size of, of church or building campaigns or projects or, or any of those things. The thing that will be most in front of my mind will be the young men and women that I poured into and, and seeing uh, many of them in ministry full-time now, making disciples that are disciple-making Disciples. So really, a, a, a kind of a life verse in that would be 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, where Paul's talking to his young protege, Timothy. He says, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, 
So I have to be living a life that has, and be saying something that's worth saying again and repeating and, and following. Paul says, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. That's what I'll remember. I, I can think of, of names right now, which I won't list off. Some of them might be even watching. And that will be the, the, the greatest joy that I, I carry forward. All right, Jamie, here we go. Hi, Pastor Pede. My name is Jamie Scarp. I am in seventh grade, and I go to Cedar Heights Middle School in the Kent School District. My question is, when I die, do I immediately go to heaven, or is there, like, a waiting period? If there is, in fact, a waiting period, where or, like, what is it? Future seminary student right there. That was deep. Okay, so uh, this is a, a very deep, heady, and important question and concept that I, it's wonderful to only have 30 seconds to try to answer. Uh, a question was related to this. I think Gracie actually had a similar re- related question um, to the afterlife, to what happens next. And there's many different ideas and concepts that are out there. And I think it's really uh, relevant because we're in our series in Revelation. And I know after the sermon our students go uh, and have Sunday school. And the high schoolers right now, I've been meeting with uh, Steve Bodwell on Zoom, and the middle schoolers, I believe, have been meeting with, with Joe Fantasy. And questions like this are coming up. And so, Jamie, thank you for asking a good question. Should we continue? Should we move on? Oh, wait, I haven't answered it yet. Okay, I actually have to answer it. Okay, let's hear it again. Let's hear it again. Hi, Pastor Pede. My name is Jamie Scarf. I am in seventh grade, and I go to Cedar Heights Middle School in the Kent School District. My question is, when I die, do I immediately go to heaven? Or is there like a waiting period? If there is, in fact, a waiting period, where or like, what is it? I'm not going to answer like a politician. I'm going to answer like a pastor. Yes, Jamie, you immediately go to the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7 says, The dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. When the soul of a believer in Christ dies, the the body goes into the grave, and your soul immediately goes to the Lord, absent from the body, in the presence of the Lord. Yet there is an intermediate state, Conscious existence without a body, free from sin. Oh, That's the next question we're going to look at. Participating in the joy and the realities of the heavenly life, yet waiting, waiting for the final return of Christ and the resurrection on the last day, the final glorification and receiving our new heavenly body. What our understanding of time, space, continuum, and all that, I'll leave that for Uh, philosophers and poets to come up with. But, you know, when you die, you go to heaven. When your loved one dies in Christ, they go to the Lord. And they await being fully restored. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 68 puts it this way. We are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. This is a confidence that that Paul could communicate to the early church where people would be saying at church, yes and amen. They'd be nodding in agreement. Just think about the amount of life and death people saw back in the day all the time. 
For we live by faith, not by sight. And then he says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Yet God has for each of us the days that he's numbered for us. He has work for us to do. But then when we leave this place and we go to the Lord, what a joyful place it will be. Great question. Okay, here we go, Josiah. Hi, my name is Josiah. I'm six. I'm in kindergarten. Pastor Pete, my question is, can you make anything in heaven, like make dinosaurs, make um, Pokemon, and make stuff that are not alive this time and alive this time? It's a great question. I'm looking at the adults. Do you, do you want to answer that one? That's a great question. That's a really... Can when we go ahead, let's listen to it again. All right, Josiah, come on. Tell us again. Hi, my name is Josiah. I'm six. I'm in kindergarten. Pastor Pete, my question is, can you make anything in heaven, like make dinosaurs, make um, Pokemon, and make stuff that are not alive this time and alive this time? Turn to a neighbor and... Ask them, what, what do they think? Go ahead, go ahead, take a second. Turn to the neighbor where you're sitting, wherever you are at home, and, and ask them the question, can you make anything in heaven? Like make a dinosaur or a Pokemon. Make stuff that was not alive this time, but are alive in that time. You got an answer? Well, I'm going to start with scripture this time. That's always a good thing to fall back on, right? Let's rely on scripture 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 to 54. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, four verses, 50 to 54, five verses. It says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Revelation series, right? Last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and perishable and we will be changed. Verse 53. For the perishable must be clothed, must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has become clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will, will come true Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death will be swallowed up in victory. We're talking about all the changes that have happened in life in these past nine weeks. We keep talking about the, the new normal. Imagine a time where there is no death anymore. Everything will change. So Josiah, let me, let me think about the question with you this way. When you die and go to heaven, if you believe in Christ... You will then be in a state where there is no more sin, where your, your mind or your conscience will be completely cleared of any guilt, and you will experience perfect freedom. And how perfect is freedom? When I say perfect freedom, I mean perfect freedom. Freedom. Freedom to do what? Well, no sin. First and foremost, something that ties us up and trips us up all the time, that we've never not known, 
And where are we when we're in heaven with all this freedom? Where are we? Jesus tells us we will be in his kingdom. Well, if you're in a kingdom, then a kingdom means that there's a king. And he's the king. So we'll be in a place and time where we are in a kingdom, where there's a king, where there's nothing that holds us back from fully living the life that God's called us to. To be fully and perfectly satisfied and joyful in Christ. Young man, I'll tell you this. As you grow older in this life, the things that bring you joy, they'll change. Sometimes for the better and sometimes not so much. Uh, the wonder of going to Disneyland, that's a kingdom. But now to me, ah, Disneyland. So in the same way, when we go to heaven, we have freedom. We have the, the beauty and the luxury of witnessing absolute beauty and purity. I think there, the questions and the ideas and the concepts of things that would bring us joy will change will develop where we will have perfect freedom, but it will be freedom to bring glory to our creator. All right, Lachlan. Oh, I'm going to love this one. Here we go, Lachlan. Hey, Pastor Pete. Who do you think is the greatest warrior in the Bible? Mm, mm, mm. You see a little jujitsu, right? A little Brazilian jujitsu. Let's uh, mm, ha, mm, hmm, huh. Hey, Six weeks of Taekwondo. Is that, is that what we're talking about? That kind of warrior? Warrior action, is that what he's asking? Warriors in the Bible. All right, let's hear it again, Lachlan. Hey, Pastor Pete. Who do you think is the greatest warrior in the Bible? All right, had to think about this one. Honorable mention for the greatest warrior. Here you go, Lachlan. I'm going to give you the... Here's, here's honorable mention for great warriors... I got, on, my, on my dream team, this is dream team worthy, okay? I got to get David. Got to give King, King Davy uh, props. Pretty tough guy. I'm going to put Moses out there. Not great with the words, but with the actions. He, he's, uh, he's kind of the OG. He's pretty, he's pretty rough. I would not want to run into Moses. And then Joshua, he's a young gun. I wouldn't want to mess with, the, mess with him. Samson. Some of us are kind of looking like Samson. Some of us, Samson, Gideon. Have you ever heard of Ehud, the left-handed? What a name, Ehud, the left-handed. You know that you are bad when you just have to tie one hand behind your back and just use your left hand to take out a baddie. Check it out, Judges chapter 3. But all of them pale by comparison to the greatest warrior in Scripture. Who is a team? Come on. Come on, team. Jesus. That's right. Jesus is the greatest warrior. Why do I say it? Because he won the biggest, most decisive battle. You say you have a record of knockouts and what have you, but you've just been fighting some peewee guys. He took on the greatest and worst enemies and beat them all. Death, sin, and the devil. He took him out. Do you remember our series in Revelation? We talked about Jesus rolling up to battle, and he's the only one carrying weapons. His team is all dressed in linen. Why? Because I know he's got it. You're good. We'll just watch and see you wipe out the enemy. So the greatest warrior and the greatest hero of Scripture 
is God himself. God is the central character of scripture, not man. Never want to put ourselves into the story first and say, well, how would I handle this? What would, what would I do? No, no. We first see what God is doing and teaching us about himself and his character for his name's sake. And so I got to do it, folks. We got to do it. He asked it. It's got to come. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 to 16, where John sees heaven standing open and he sees a white horse and the one rider called Faithful and True. Jesus Christ, the decisive victor, the greatest warrior, who just speaks a word and his enemies fall. There you go. All right, here we go. Hi, my name is Noah, and I am nine, and this is my brother Elijah. And my question is, when will I get to see you? And Elijah's question is... Hi, Elijah, what's your question? Church opens. When will church open? Yeah. Who do you miss? Um, Pastor Pete. Do you miss him? And your friends too? Oh, okay, Gacy, bye. Bye. <laughs> Come on. This is too much. Boys, Noah and Elijah. We have this deal where we're playing each of these videos more than once to make sure you caught it. I caught it, so I'm not sure I can watch it again. Okay, let's watch it one more time. Hi, my name is Noah, and I am not fine, and this is my brother Elijah. And my question is, when will I get to see you? And Elijah's question is... Hi, Elijah, what's your question? When church opens. When will church open? Yeah. Who do you miss? Um... Pastor Pete. Do you miss him and your friends too? Oh, okay, Gacy, bye. Bye. <laughs> I am driving to your house this week, boys, for reals. Come on. I miss you too. I miss you too. I remember I was playing foosball. Oh, that was so much fun. Remember we played with your dad? I miss you too. We have to really listen to our leaders and, and obey what they're telling us and our governor is giving us instructions about when we could have church again. And we're having it online here, but, but it sounds like in these phases that in a few weeks we might be able to have groups of 50 people at a time come to church and, and be together and worship. And, and we're talking about drive-in church, that maybe we could figure out a way to come to the upper parking lot. And, but now we have to keep our windows closed if we do that. And how do we, how do we do that? We just want to connect with each other. These nine weeks of online church have been so interesting. They've been such an interesting opportunity. It's been a beautiful thing. It has been a strange thing. We miss one another in so many ways, and yet we're able to connect with, with one another in this forum and connect with so many new people in new ways. There, there's a saying, boys, necessity uh, is the mother of invention, and so out of necessity, we really ramped up uh, the plans for this live stream. And uh, what a wonderful opportunity we have to connect uh, through this medium, through um, on Sunday mornings and on Thursday nights. But we know it doesn't replace real community. It's not the same as, as being with our friends and being with our teachers or with our pastor or seeing people connect with one another. And so our hope is that that... Uh, answer would be soon, because I miss you too. I miss you very much. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We are the local expression of the church. It's, it's in our DNA. It's who we are as a church. We, this church in particular builds itself on small groups of small communities connecting together. All those interconnected relationships on the other side of this are going to be stronger than ever. At the same time, what a wonderful opportunity God's given us to have this medium, to be able to, to reach out to, to new people in our community and, and far beyond. So I'll see you guys soon. I'll, I'll talk to mom and dad, see if I can, can cruise by your house. Okay, we're down to the last two. Here's the penultimate question from Skyly. Hi, my name is Skyly, and I'm four years old. And I go to preschool, and um, Pastor P, I have a question for you. Why can't Elsa have a balloon? <laughs> okay, first off, Skyly is four going on 24. And secondly, I'm not sure scripture says a lot about Elsa and balloons and, and frozen. So let's hear it. Let's hear it one more time. Let's hear the setup. Hi, my name is Skyly, and I'm four years old. And I go to preschool. And um, Pastor P, I have a question for you. Why can't Elsa? Have a balloon. I don't know, Skyly. Why can't Elsa have a balloon? Because she let it go. Ah. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Thank you, sweetheart. That's very, very funny. Okay. And now, the final question from Tobin. Here we go, Tobin. Hi, Pastor Pete. My name is Tobin, and I am nine years old. Um, my question for you is that... Where do dinosaurs fit in the Bible? I don't see them anywhere in the Bible. They're, they're pretty big to fit in there. That's a good question. Do you notice how this question kind of comes us back to where we started? Understanding of scripture, kids having great questions of how do we understand the, that the Bible's true? And here's a question about where, where well, let's hear it again about dinosaurs in the Bible. Hi, Pastor Pete. My name is Tobin and I am nine years old. Um, my question for you is that where do dinosaurs fit in the Bible? I don't see them anywhere in the Bible. Toby, you're right. There aren't any dinosaurs in the Bible. Uh, Job chapter 40 references the Leviathan and the behemoth, but we don't believe those are, are dinosaurs. We do know and believe that God created everything, including dinosaurs. So to answer your question, it really depends on how we interpret the available evidence. A young earth interpretation says that the dinosaurs and man coexisted Till they uh, were died, they died off with the flood. If we understand the the book of Genesis as reliable in all matters of faith and life, it's it's God's inspired and errant word that he he gave to human authors, the very information and communicated to them and through them what we needed to know to believe in God and to follow God. Then, as we understand creation, we don't see a conflict between faith and science, and science things that we're learning. In that case, dinosaurs were long gone before 
the Bible is written. Friends, Christianity makes the most sense of our world, the most sense of reality, has answers to the hard questions of life and, and the best answers out there, I believe. The truth of our faith is most fully experienced when it's lived out. Sort of like that church I grew up uh, going to. On the outside, uh, the windows were dark, but it was actually going in that you could see the light shining through the stained glass. And in the same way, it's living out our faith. It's living it out in community, finding Christian community to put hands and feet to the gospel, to ask those hard questions of God, to join together in worship, that his spirit speaks to our spirit and confirms Jesus is Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, I'll end with this, invite the team to come up for our final song. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Moms and dads, grandparents, the greatest discipler, the greatest disciple maker in your young person's life is you. We have the privilege uh, to have a wonderful team here to provide uh, all kinds of, all manners of discipleship uh, from cradle to grave, but it's what's happening in your home. And so I pray that you'd be blessed as we sing this final song, The Blessing. Let's, let's worship God.